Hello, welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. This is a daily conversation about scripture, culture, and media from a Reformed perspective. Get your Bible and coffee ready and prepare to engage today's topic. Here's your host, Pastor Keith Foskey. Welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. We are back with another Caffeinated Calvinist Roundtable, and I am joined, as always, by Sam Brown and Richard Roden. Hey, guys, how are y'all doing today? Here to let you know that Oreos do exist. Okay. <laughs> and, Richard, how about you? Uh Doing well, brother. Doing well. <laughs> I don't even know how to follow that. <laughs> well, well, listener, today we're going to be talking about a variety of subjects. This, uh, the last few times that we've done the Caffeinated Calvinist Roundtable, we've been talking about a variety of things, and we found that to be a pretty good format for our particular ways of going back and forth and talking about subjects. And today we're going to be talking about Coca-Cola. We're going to be talking about Mr. Potato Head. We're going to be talking about LB. T G Q R S P U L T sometimes and, Y and Z and and pretty much everything in between. But the big deal for today is we're going to talk about the idea of virtue signaling because that is the word of the day. The word of today is virtue signaling. We're going to start with Coca Cola. Well, well, let's can we pause for one moment and say first off, virtue signaling is two words, um, but. Ooh. <laughs> The, de- okay. the definition, uh, my dear friend, is the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. And an example of that is it's notable how often virtue signaling consists of saying you hate things. This comes from the Oxford Dictionary. That is awesome. Thank you, brother. And I'm reminded of the... The um, the Honorable Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Occasionally cognizant, you mean? Oh well, we. Um, I am reminded of a statement made by her that it's not it's not as important to be factually correct as it is to be morally correct. Listen, we choose facts over truth. Yes, absolutely. Wait, what? Oh, whatever, <laughs> whatever, uh, President. Mr. Magoo said, I don't know, facts over truth, facts okay. over whatever. He's an idiot. <clears throat> but I remember that statement, though, the statement that uh, we, it's more important to be morally correct than it is to be factually correct. That's a, that's a, that's a form of virtue signaling, right? We're, we're, we're mm. seeking to be, we're seeking to be the moral ones. We're seeking to be the righteous ones. And yet at the same time, um, we see so much immorality and so much, uh, ungodliness coming out of, of many of these folks who are cr- claiming to be so virtuous. And the first, like I said, the first thing that kind of came to mind in, in preparing for today's podcast was the situation that happened this past week at Coca-Cola. Now, unless you are not a person who's on social media at all, you probably may not know about what happened in regard to Coca-Cola, but apparently there was some training uh, from the Human Resources Department that went out from Coca-Cola regarding the statement that the there are ways to be less white. And uh, I remember, Sam, you mentioned while we were preparing for this this week that that was actually on LinkedIn. 
Can you tell yeah. us? Yeah. So that was a course authored by the famous Robin D'Angelo, who is another real idiot. Um, she's the one who wrote the book White Fragility. And she is a white woman who goes around and lectures people that they're racist and corporations pay her tens of thousands of dollars to come speak for a couple of hours um, at their corporations. Um, anyway, she wrote this course uh, titled Try to Be Less White and it was on LinkedIn and I have a LinkedIn premium um, thing as part of my job, my company that I work for pays for it. And um, so the minute that, that I saw that story, which I don't pay much attention to the news during the day. So it was later in the evening. It had already been taken down by, by that point. So when the, uh, when the news came out and the Fuhrer came up, they immediately pulled it. Um, this course is no longer available. Um, and uh, I got that little screen. And I think I sent that to you guys in our conversation. I'm like, wow, that was quick. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't have the list in front of me. I don't know if either one of you do as well of some of the things that it meant to be less white. Uh, can you, do you have that? Available? No, but I can pull it up real fast here on the interwebs. It's um, a series of tubes. And <laughs> yes, it is. <clears throat> Richard, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, have you ever felt the need to be less white? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> is Richard white? Um, I think, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting you ask me that because so often on my little Debbie route, I'm in a primarily black neighborhood all day, every day. And it's never bothered me, but uh, I've been asked by several black folk if I indeed was black or mixed. It's very weird. <laughs> and when I tell them I'm not, they're very surprised. But Well, I realize uh, <laughs> this, is, this is not a video podcast. However, those who do know you and have seen you, you do strike a very... <laughs> Uh, you do, uh, you, you bear a striking resemblance to, um, uh, uh, Chris Tucker and, and, and <laughs> I find that oh, he's like a version of Sam, Sammy Sosa mixed with Chris Tucker. Is that what it is? Have okay. you seen Sammy Sosa lately? I, it's been a while. Sammy it's Sosa, a while. it's a whole thing. So he puts this cream on his on his skin to make himself white. Look him up. Just do an internet search later on Sammy Sosa. He looks like an old, like Cuban white man now. And you remember years ago when he played baseball, he was a dark brother. He was not. He was not light skinned, and now he's very light skinned. And uh -huh. and he says he does this on purpose with some sort of lotion or whatever. So would that be an example of white face? Because I know I've heard of black face. No, his, people... his skin has actually changed color. Oh, it's, it's, it's oh, not, so it's not. It's like... not makeup. Oh, no, wow. it's not makeup. It's like how, but so uh, similar to what Michael Jackson did. No, because Michael Jackson had a had, uh, he had, had a disorder or something. Like right, he had he some had. weird disorder. But it's like whenever like like white people go out in the sun and and will tan, right? Well, that process can also be reversed. Apparently, I don't know. It's the craziest thing I ever saw. But I, but I looked it up a few years ago. And Sammy Sosa, just look him up. It's going to blow your mind. Okay, um, so we're talking in sort of the terms of being less white physically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, he's but, trying to be more white. But um, but the uh, but the the the. Okay, so I've got the list. I'm sorry. The li yeah, the LinkedIn I did. lesson was about behaviors that are specifically white. Yeah. What so the, the tips to be less white included to be less <laughs> arrogant, to be less certain, to be less defensive, to be more humble, to listen believe and break with apathy and break with white solidarity. 
to confront racism. And what it means to be white is what it means to challenge yourself to not be a racist. That's what being white means to them. And there's two more on the list that maybe not be on your list. I'm looking at a different list, but it says says less oppressive and less ignorant as well. Be less oppressive, be less ignorant, and all the other ones you mentioned. Yeah. So this is from a news story because, again, the uh, the course is gone. Um, um, and it also went on to opine that people are socialized to feel that they are inherently superior because they are white. Um, so that's from the news story that I read. I have never in my life been socialized to believe I'm more superior simply because I'm white. That is absolute nonsense. Anyway. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't think everyone ever anyone ever explicitly told me that but there is such a thing as understanding um and this is where i may break with you guys slightly there is something as understanding majority privilege right if you're in a country that's that's still currently like 70 percent white most people in this country are white so businesses and and ideas and prom queens and everything are going to tend to be white more often because they're a bigger part of the population and if you don't think that's true go to nigeria and try to talk about how hard it is to be white they're not going to care because they're 99 percent black in nigeria they have majority privilege in nigeria so i understand the idea of the majority being the dominant group in a society okay and, but then to, to, to turn that around and say that America is like a racist and hateful country inherently, um, I agree that people are awful <laughs> because that's what the Bible says. But to, to say that it's, it's any different than the rest of the world and to say that we're inherently racist because of that, I, I think is nonsense. Yeah. In fact, I want to I, I wanna piggyback right on what you said, Sam. I actually said almost the exact words you just said in a sermon. And it was, um, I think it surprised people. I said, I said, what we see, uh, what most people see as white privilege is actually just the, the privilege of being in the majority in a particular place. And one of the arguments for majority privilege is, well, if you look in textbooks, you'll see more white faces. I said, well, that depends. If you go to China and look in their textbook, you're going to see more Chinese faces. Right. You know, because that's the people in their textbooks, because that's the heritage and the history of the country that they are in. And so the idea of white privilege versus majority privilege, and and it was actually Jordan Peterson, who I know is not necessarily a Christian, but is a person who is a conservative speaker mm-hmm. who addresses the difference between what, it, what, what would constitute white privilege versus what constitutes majority privilege. And I think it's something that people don't consider. And um, so going down that list, uh, did you want to add anything to that, Richard, or move on? Or the, uh, the only difference between here and a place like Nigeria, other places where it's majority, the whites are a very small percentage, is that in some of those places, and I don't, it may be Nigeria, I may be mistaken, um, the white people are literally having land taken from them, farmland taken from them. So that's South There's Africa. Sister- South Africa. South Africa, yeah. But it's an example of the majority actually seriously oppressing the minority to yeah. the point of killing them, taking their land, and making a government decision to do these things. Yeah. When you flip it to here, you flip it to here, we're not doing that to the minorities. Typically, white nations tend to help out those underneath them. You see what I'm saying? That aren't the majority. Yeah. Uh, that's I, why... I would say yeah. Western cultures, which tend, which are, which are white, but it's more the Western cultures because when you get into like the Eastern um, cultures and um, uh, 
uh, like the socialist countries, they don't. But sort of like European Western cultures absolutely adhere to that. And they're almost all exclusively Caucasian. Right. And what, so, And what's interesting anyway. is we do see, we see racism is is a real thing across cultures. The idea, I think, inherent in a lesson like what has been produced, not by Coca-Cola, but for Coca-Cola. Let, I'm going to be clear about that. This was for them. This was produced by the woman that you mentioned, Sam. Robin D'Angelo. Um, yeah, but um, the, the, the inherent idea behind it is that this is a white problem, that racism exists among white people. But I, I am very familiar with racism that exists in other cultures. Mm. Even within cultures that are closely related, there are still there there are people there there are countries that are racist against other countries, um, such as there, there there was a lot of animosity between China and Japan for a long time. I, I I'm not sure what it's like today, but if it still it, is. Yeah, yeah, but but I know that um, I know this is silly, but if you go back to some of the older movies that were filmed by Bruce Lee, which were filmed in China, one of the consistent problems in those films was the the racism that was felt between the Chinese and the Japanese. I remember there was a, a scene in a movie with Bruce Lee where he was going to a park and it was a it was a park that was in Japan and the park the sign above the park said no dogs or Chinese people allowed. <laughs> like, 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 like that was the, that was the t- t- form of racism was Japanese to Chinese racism. And so the idea that racism is inherently a white only problem and only white people can be arrogant. Only white people can be oppressive. Only white people can be ignorant. I think this is a, this is a, uh, uh, this is the part of the issue is that it only, it's only at the doorstep of white people. And the problem is there's a lot of people who might listen right now and they would say Sam's white, Richard is, well, yes, Richard is white, even though we had that conversation earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would say Keith is white, therefore the three people I'm listening to don't really have the right to have this conversation because they're white. Right. Oh, That's racist. Con- oh, contraire, because going back to majority, uh, privilege that we were talking about a minute ago where I work, I am the minority. And to say that the majority there isn't racist toward white folks would be uh, an incorrect statement because I've been called such things as cracker and honky and all kind of things. When I've disagreed with someone or there was once I accidentally bumped a guy's foot and he went off on me with all kind of racist epitaphs against me. Um, because he didn't like white people. So racism exists across all uh, boards, all races, period. And when I'm the minority in the majority in West Jacksonville, um, there's times where I get words slung at me too. So to say it's a white problem, no, it's a, it's a heart problem is what it is, period. And this, this program put out by Miss D'Angelo it's not necessarily trying to take the color out of somebody. It's trying to take who we are out of us, make us somebody we're not because of somehow we're being white is not just a color. It's a idea. It's a um, character issue. Yeah. And, because, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, because I, all, all black conservatives get called white supremacists, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Larry Elder, Thomas Soul, Candace Owens, their Uncle Toms, they're they're trying to be white. Kanye West. Right. They're all trying to be white guys and they're getting they get degraded for it. Why can't we just take Morgan Freeman's approach? Just be, just all be human beings. How about that? Because that's what he said. Let's stop talking about racism and stop having a Black History Month. We don't have White History Month. We don't have Asian History Month. We have Black History Month. Let's just have history and just tell the history of this country, regardless. You know, and stop separating everything by race. That's part of the problem. We separate everything by race. If a black person is an astronaut and they're the first one, we have to say it's the first African American astronaut astronaut it's the first african-american to do this it's the first asian to do this why don't we just say hey they did this why do we got to make everything about race that's part of the problem with being divided so much because richard, <laughs> because richard it's historic when it's the first transgendered woman assistant secretary of the health department that's, <laughs> that's important you can't ask uh, him her questions about giving uh, uh, minor children uh, prophylactic uh, ho- hormones to keep them from having puberty. Richard, don't you know that's racist, sexist, anti-gay? Don't you know your intersectional politics? Uh, yes, and I don't agree with any of them. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing, right? You just made a good point, Sam, and that's that's sort of what the topic of today is all about: is the 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 whole idea behind this is we we have to if if we want to be accepted within the modern uh understanding of culture we have to we have to say that we have been wrong we have to say that we have been oppressive we have to say like like max lucado the the, the preacher who went out and got on his knees and beg forgiveness for his, his inherent racism and the racism of his ancestors that we have to do this because they're, the culture is demanding these signals of virtue. And the greatest signal of virtue that a white person can now give is somehow to be ashamed of their, their being white because being white is wrong. And therefore, we have to signal some form of virtue, signal some form of, of you know, I, I've heard a lot of people in the media and I've seen people post videos of themselves saying, I'm sorry for being white. I'm sorry for being um, inherently racist. And again, what are they doing? They're, uh, they're creating a signal of virtue, like you explained it earlier, Sam, what is the signal? They're, 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 they're saying, I hate myself. What do we say virtue signaling is? is, is yeah, they're signaling that they're a good person because, because of their stance or their position, not actually what they do, but what they say, think, and feel. Yeah. And this, this garbage is infiltrating the church because like I posted not too long ago, on February 20th, uh, so just a few days ago, Dr. Matthew Hall, provost and senior vice president at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, said this, the best thing you can do to start is to take a humble posture, recognizing that you have a racialized worldview of which you are likely unaware. Your beliefs, attitudes, and values have been formed in ways deeply informed by whiteness. I am a racist. I will struggle with racism and white supremacy until the day I die. This is a senior vice president at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. This crap is infiltrating our seminaries now, which will filter down into churches. We've already seen the book, Woke Church, that was written by Eric Mason. And uh, 
it's this idea of whiteness is inherently evil and that all white people need to admit that we are racist, even if we don't even understand that we're racist. And it's in the church and it's completely and totally antithetical to the gospel. This destroys the gospel and what Christ has done at the cross when you start making the identity about white versus black and how white is somehow evil. Samuel Say, Slay said it, is it Slay or Say? Anyway, he said it best in a post I saw not too long ago. If you are black, you are fearfully and wonderfully made black. If you are white, you were fearfully and wonderfully made black, white. If you are brown, you were fearfully and wonderfully made brown. In other words, the diversity you see in the human race was fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And it's not to be, it has, it's not to be, this one's better than this one and taken as your identity is found in your color. No, your identity needs to be found in Christ. And each person that is made has equal value in the eyes of God because they are made in his image. This idea of white versus black is anti-gospel and needs to be purged from the church before it gets any further into it. And I'm sorry I went on a rant there. Oh, right. Good, <laughs> good stuff. Um, and, and, and here's it. So I'm with, I'm with you guys 90% of the way, but I'm also with the other side 90% of the way. If we can say, I'm with, I'm, I'm with them from point A to point B, right? Racism's evil. Hate is evil. God hates it. It's a sin and worthy of death and eternal damnation at the hand of God, not at our hand. But what is the policy prescription? What is the fix for it? That's where we differ greatly because we come at it from a different angle. Robin D'Angelo is, is just another race hustler. She's just another grifter. She's just like Al Sharpton and, and Jesse Jackson and all of these hustlers that have been just using race as a cudgel to beat people for years. And it's the same thing that the transgender people are doing now. That's why they had to create the idea of intersectionality. And if you don't know what that is, intersectionality is the idea that all minorities have intersections with their oppression. So if you're a woman, if you are uh, uh, gay, if you're LGBTQI, LMXO with a, you know, with a big cherry on top, no matter what you are, you have common cause with your fellow oppressed brethren and sister and, and whatever else. And oh, um, can, be, can be brethren and sister and because every, there is no more. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, okay. Sorry. That was the beautiful part about whenever uh, Stephen Crowder, I was watching him and he was having a debate with the person about uh, transgenders and she was talking to he or she, whatever. I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about LGBTQ. I said, well, you can't have that because the B is by its very nature exclusive uh, of transgender people because the B is bisexual, right? So they can't be bi if there's more than two genders. Um, and they just brought them to a full stop and they didn't know what to say um, because once you speak common truth to these people, Anyway, uh, the point I was making was in intersectionality. That's why every single time you'll hear them chant, racist, sexist, anti-gay, racist, sexist, anti-gay. That's why they link all those together all the time. That's why it's LGBTQ. They link all of the oppressed minorities together because they have intersection. They have intersectional cause. That's why intersectionality, they they create this identity politics within people. And it started with uh, second wave feminism back in the 60s but um it continues to this day and it's the history of man right that's what people do they hate each other and they find any way to attack and kill and murder and 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 steal from each other good deal 
good, good word. Uh, I want to uh, continuing this conversation. I just want to bring into another topic, but continuing the conversation of virtue signaling. Uh, an article came out just today, I believe it was from discern.com, and that's D I S R N dot com. Uh, so one, not, one of my favorite news sites. Yep. Um, that says one in six young Americans now identify as LGBT. Now they don't go into the QRSTUP, but they say one in six young Americans now identify essentially with what I've become no, to call the letter people, the, the uh, you know, the LGB, however many letters there are now. And uh, I, I, I posted this in our, in our private conversation that we had before the show, you know, we, 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 we set these things apart, getting ready for the show. And I said, I think we need to address this as another form of virtue signaling. Is it, is it really true? Do we think for a moment that it's really true that one in six which would would be a massive number if you if you were to take you know that in regard to a, a population one in six is is a tremendous number in regard to a population is it really true that all of those people are either lesbian girls gay men bisexual or transgender is it tr do do we think that that's true or do we think that there's been some fudging of the numbers with this particular statistic. I think that number is <clears throat> low, actually. Very low. Okay. What do you explain? Okay. I believe that 100% of all people are LGBTQ because I don't think it's a biological component. In fact, I know it's not a biological component. And I said that that way just to get a rise out of you, but, but to, to make the greater point, it's late um, at night. I'm not rising for anything. I'm <laughs> but every, single, every single human being that is born is born a heterosexual, 100%, right? Um, now, when they say trans people exist, that's what I said at the beginning about o Oreos exist because Oreo today on their Twitter put out that trans people exist. Well, no one denies that trans people exist, but do trans people scientifically exist? Do they biologically exist or do they psychologically exist? And here's my point. The biological imperative to, re to reproduce is undeniably and exclusively a heterosexual action. Any sexual act outside of reproduction is a choice, right? There is no biological imperative. There is no biological drive to be a gay guy or a lesbian woman or to be a transgender. That's not a biological imperative. Therefore, it, that sexual act, that sexual acting out is a choice. And therefore, this high number that we're seeing, 16%, is a direct result of the normalization of aberrations. Media and political initiatives have brought us to this. In a society with falling birth rates, this is biological and cultural suicide. And that's science. I mean, you can't deny with that, 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 that is how the human body works. And I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine who was a, a real liberal and I love him to death. We've been friends for 30 years. And, um, but he w wanted to, to take argument with me and I'm like, well, tell me how many people are born out of homosexual unions? Zero, right? None. Why is that? 
because the nat- the natural order is that only heterosexual coupling can produce a child. Therefore, everything outside of that is merely a choice. It is it is an action of the will. It is a psychological conditioning. And uh, I I agree. What you I, what you've said is I'm not going to argue with. Um, but to the 16 percent, I. I understand what you're saying about the hundred percent, but get back to the actual numbers that are given to us. It's you know, 15 or 16 percent of the population identifies this way. I think there's two reasons this is happening. One, it's the 18 to 23 age range, I think, or the 18 to 28 or something age range that was listed there. Um, one, I think they're just confused. And I say that because uh, of an instance, um, with my daughter, uh, one of her friends and these people will go nameless. Um, she came to my daughter and told her that she thought she was bisexual. And I know the, the, uh, the daughters, I mean the friend's mom. So I contacted her and said, Hey, this conversation happened and you know, you may want to address this or what have you. And she did. And she reported back to me the reason that her daughter at 14 years old thought that she might be bisexual is because she thought other girls were attractive. She thought they were pretty. And because of this confusion we have in the ether out there that if you think someone's pretty, that must mean you're attracted to them, you know, and her mom had explained to her, honey, that's, you know, there are men out there who think Brad Pitt is uh, one hot dude, but that doesn't mean they're interested in him in that way. They just are saying the dude take care, takes care of himself. He's ripped. He's, 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 you know, pretty. I want to look like him. He's pretty. He's know? very pretty. <laughs> but, it doesn't mean, saying that. <laughs> but it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you're bisexual or gay. It just means you find this guy attractive in the sense of he looks good. He takes care of himself. He's a good looking um, guy. He's a good looking guy. There you go. And that cleared it up a little bit for her, but this, this confusion out there now because of all the muddied water on the issue, um, you have that. Then you have more, I think, of what's really going on is and me and you keith talked about this some today and i think you hit nail on the head not trying to steal your thunder if you're going to say this but it's more along the lines of it's trendy to be that way it's kind of hip if you're in that age group to say you know what i think i might lean this way or might lean that way because it's kind of cool because as you said sam in the mainstream media and all it's been bombarded since the 90s on us and it's gotten progressively more and more and more i'd forgotten because I've been re-watching the series Mad About You. Loved that series back when I was in high school. And I'd forgotten completely that they had a whole lesbian element to it, where Paul's sister ended up becoming a lesbian and they had a whole relationship in the show. And it becomes a major part of the show toward the last couple of seasons. I had completely forgot about that, because back then it was kind of abnormal to see that portrayed as normal in television. But today, it's all over the place. You can't turn on the TV without seeing 14 characters. It's in movies. It's everywhere. Yeah. So Every television show has a person or persons who is portrayed as homosexual. And in almost every instance, it is a person in the show that is intended to be seen as virtuous and mm-hmm. wise and morally superior to the other persons in the show. It's, it, it's, it is not, it, I mean, have we watched the CW and don't laugh at me. You guys were just talking about how pretty Brad Pitt is. So if you get on to me, 
watch. <laughs> I love Dawson's Creek. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. There's a new Superman uh, uh, program coming out on CW, and uh, d- d- don't hate on me. I'm, but I'm really nervous, right? Because I like Superman. Uh, don't, don't you dare. <laughs> but, but I'm gonna watch it. But I'm really nervous that they're gonna make somebody in the movie, somebody in the show, have to be the wise and beneficent and all, you know, all good uh, homosexual or transgender person. I mean, that is. Uh, I don't know. I, I have never seen the show Batwoman. But that was a um, another show put out. I, I don't know if it was a CW, but it was the whole point, it seems, of the show from those who have seen it and who've told me about it is that they wanted to portray the leading character, the girl who played Batwoman, as a homosexual. And they did mm-hmm. to the point of making that the most important part of her character. Not that she was a superhero or not that she was a good, you know, a good model of you know vigilante justice or whatever it was she is gay therefore she is virtuous and again it's a signal of virtue isn't that the one where the actress actually left the show because she wasn't actually a homosexual so she wanted to give up the part to an underrepresented minority to 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 do that part i don't know i don't I don't know the whole story. I do know that the second season has a new Batwoman playing the part. And mm-hmm. the, 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 from what I understand, again, I haven't watched one episode, but from what I understand from reviews and things that I've seen online is that the, the very first thing out of the gate was that person identified themselves as being homosexual. So the first Batgirl, homosexual. The second Batgirl, second season, different person, different actress, also homosexual. So I guess... 16% of 18 to 23s are LGBTQ, but 100% of bat women are LGBTQ. <laughs> Listen, you that, have to that, be. Go, that goes back to the point. I think it's just hip and trendy to do it because it's cool on TV. And yeah. I don't think half these, I don't think half this 16% actually is. I think it's still what the number's always been 1% or less actually engage heavily and make that a lifestyle. Because that's what typically has been the population is 1% or a little over 1% actually engages in the lifestyle. I don't think these 18 to 23-year-olds know what in the world they're talking about. They're just confused, dumb kids who have been influenced by society. And this is, this is something hip and cool to do, like, you know, wearing jeans with holes in them, which I still don't understand. Why would you buy jeans that got holes in them? You, anyway, uh, so... Wow, that's I mean, my thoughts on it. That, that, I'm kind of, I'm kind of almost maybe understanding, you know, the characters though, because this one time I showed up to do a podcast and one of the guys wasn't wearing a shirt, and I've had confused feelings ever since. <laughs> okay, um, so moving moving on, uh, this is. Uh, I, I want to say something serious, but that was a very. That was a difficult lead-in to what I'm about to say. Not the segue welcome. you were looking for. No, there's not <laughs> welcome for that. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Sam, for such a wonderful, uh, non-intelligible segue for the audience. Who is uh, uh, anyway? I I have worked um, for the better part of my adult career 
in in education when I was uh, when I was in seminary. I worked at First Coast High School. I worked with students who were in special needs programs. I was a paraprofessional, which means I worked alongside the teacher, helping students who were uh, who were in ESE classes, which is exceptional student education. And um, after I graduated seminary and became a full-time pastor, I took on a part-time job as a substitute teacher. And I worked in the public school system for eight years as a substitute teacher. So I, I've, I've better than a decade of public school uh, work under my belt. And one of the things that I have seen in the public schools among the children and many of them willing to talk to me, some of them because they knew I was a pastor, some of them because they knew I was a good listener. I was, you know, I was willing to hear what they had to say. Many of the issues of homosexuality and the, in the expressions that I have seen are students who are looking for some way to, they're looking for something to identify with Many of them were students who were not necessarily the most popular students. Some of them were the most, but were the most unpopular students. And yet, whenever they announced themselves as, well, I'm bi or I'm gay, then they get a new identity. And it's an identity that even though it's a negative identity in the minds of a lot of people, especially in Southern America, where being gay is not always the best thing to be. You know, again, I've been in, this is 20 years ago when I worked in the, when I was in seminary, but it was still an identity nonetheless. It was an opportunity for them to have something that was unique to them. You know, Sam, you're the, you're the funny one. Richard, you're the, you're the, you're the smart one. And I'm the good looking one. You know, we all have things that are. I second that. <laughs> we, all have, we all have something that identifies us. But, but I do think that in this age group, and I guess I'm just saying, isn't it sad that a lot of times this is, this is a way for somebody to find something about them that they want to think is special and different. And it's, and that's, I think, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you guys want to opine on that, but that, that's something I, 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 I have just my own anecdotal evidence i have no i have nothing to point to i have no studies just my experience with students um it's almost like being an atheist there were one time i was substitute teaching and there was this student who said i don't believe in god and some of the other kids who were from one of them i know was a son of a baptist preacher and there was a bunch of other students they like surrounded this kid and really gave him a hard time for saying he was an atheist so what I did is I went over and I sat next to him and I, and I, I kind of shooed the other kids away. And I said, can you tell me why you believe this? Why you think that there's no God? And he didn't really have a cogent or coherent thought, but by saying he was an atheist, he got the attention of the class. Mm -hmm. He got people to listen to him for the first time. And I just tried to explain to him that that wasn't the way to try to get attention. Well, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. He's craving relationship. That's what people want is more than anything is relationship. And when you're, when you're not a popular kid, there's days where you're the most alone, you're in a crowded room day after day after day, and you're the most alone person on the planet. So this, yeah. whether it's negative attention or positive attention, it's like people who cut themselves. 
they cut themselves because they want attention. They're looking for someone to pay attention to me, pay attention to me. So you may be on to something in the sense of this gives an outlet to get people to notice them. And some people will support them and they'll gain friendships through it. And other people, even though they'll throw hatred toward them, they're still getting some type of attention to where they actually have interaction with other human beings that they don't typically get. Because as Sam has pointed out so many times, people are awful and (laughs) kids are the worst. And those outcast children that don't have a lot of friends and kind of to themselves all day, every day that nobody ever talks to are just looking for somebody to be their friend. And that's it. So I think you may be on something there that may have a lot to do with it. Um, alongside with the, just, uh, it's trendy and you know cool to do all these elements may play a role into these young kids between 18 and 23. I mean, that's a five-year gap you're talking about there uh, in a, in a five-year span, 16% of them saying I'm one or the other of these letters in the alphabet. I, they're craving attention. They're confused or it's just cool and trendy to do. And by the time they're 27, 28, they're going to be like, I was stupid and back out of it and never do it again. It's one of those things. I think you're on to something, Keith. So, so I've spent the last decade of my life, um, before I became a believer, I spent years working in the field of addiction, depression, suicide, and self-injury. Um, so I, I know that they're, they sort of bifurcate into two areas, right? Um, well, one half, or not half, but one half of it, it one side of the story is, um, an example would be people that are in an abusive re- relationship, both the abuser and the abused, right? Um, they grew up, 90, 90% of them were either abused as kids or abused, you know, their children. Um, uh, they, you know, it's negative attention, but it's still attention and it's all they know. Um, and the other half of it is called a social contagion right it's something that catches on so have you ever heard um you've heard a song that just sticks in your head right and you just keep singing it all day long right there's that there's that funny uh joke you hear people just keep telling it all day long well human action is that way so whenever somebody sees the cool powerful virtuous smart intelligent gay black man hey that's pretty awesome i want to grow up and be that right so it's it's a social contagion that that has it is being prominently displayed in our society. And Edward Bernays back in 1913, who coincidentally was the nephew of um, uh, Sigmund Freud, um, he, uh, uh, he wrote the book, literally wrote the book on propaganda and, and, and how you control people's mindset um, through media and advertising and, and sort of sway public opinion with these ideas. And you can look at throughout history, how many old movies from the 50s and 60s are people smoking in? Why? Because the cigarette companies were paying them to smoke right? So people started smoking. Hey, that's cool. I want to be that. Um, So when I say, uh, you know, homosexuality is a social contagion, it's no different than any other negative action that has been pushed on people. Um, And and there was a study a few years ago in England, and there was actually a a brave study that was done that uh, developed the idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria. Because in England, that's sort of a small country, and they had a lot of trans sexuals or, or trans, transsexuals happening. Um, but then they found out a few years after surgery, 
these people regretted it. Like a, a great percentage of them say, I shouldn't have done that. I acted too fast. And there's one, um, uh, she, they, they let her do it when she was 13. And she, and she cut off her breasts. She took testosterone until she grew a beard. And it's just they they allow children to do to do these things to themselves. That's why I thought it was so poignant um, when I saw Rand Paul questioning our uh, uh, nominee to be the assistant secretary of the health and human services about do you think it's okay for a five year old to take gender blocking puberty or pu- puberty blocking hormones and um, the nominee wouldn't answer the question. Absolutely would not answer the question because they know if people find out about this, that they actually want to abuse children by not letting them go into puberty, making life altering decisions that you can't undo at, at five and six years old, that people would never support that. That's why Democrats have to lie about what they support. It's because it's such hideous, awful, evil things that, that we push on kids. And it's, it's just, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going on here. No, it's, no, it's, it's absolutely incredible. true. It's absolutely true. It's like, we, we don't let, we don't let children determine what they're going to eat for dinner. We don't let children yeah. determine whether or not they're going to go to school. We yep. don't let children determine whether or not they're going to take medicine or what time they're going to go to bed. But yep. we do let children determine whether or not they're going to be the gender that they were assigned at birth yeah. by their genitals yeah. <laughs> and their, and the way that God made them. No, they have every right to make that decision. And such a thought is asinine. So that's absolutely right, Sam. It's lunacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are getting close to the end of the program and I want to bring up one last thing. And this is kind of a, just a sort of the, 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 the cherry on the top of the virtue signaling conversation, and that is Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Hasbro, the toy company, has decided that they will no longer produce a Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head, but instead it is just going to be Potato Head. Uh, Good decision or bad decision, Richard? Stupid decision. (laughs) Sheologians, which is... uh run by summer um summer, I can't, summer, summer, you, summer, summer yeager, yeager. it's okay to be white she's james white yeah. well i, I know <laughs> she's summer white but um i couldn't remember her last night her married name now but summer yeager meister is it yeager yeah. <laughs> she weird. posted that uh so since hasbro has decided to come out with a gender neutral potato head uh, how long will it be before it's no longer has bro? Are they going to be has people because <laughs> it's got bro in it? I mean, it's, it's, it's so Did you the links of the links of virtue signaling going on with these companies is just I, where, when does it end? When does the madness end? Because it's just so they got to know it's stupid. They got to know how dumb this looks. We're no longer going to make a Mr. Potato head. So what are they going? So what are you going to do with this potato? You're not going to put a mustache on it or, or red lipstick or yeah, you're your women's glasses. You're, you're going to do all three. Oh, so in other words, it's still going to be the same thing. It's just not going to be labeled Mr. or Mrs. You just make it whatever you want to make. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. He, can have a mustache. he can have a mustache and red, red lipstick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm picturing you so right now, Keith, with a big red lipstick. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> It's so. 
I mean, of all the dumb virtue signals, this is the dumbest of the dumb virtue signals. Mr. Potato Head real, literally is a blank potato that you put stuff on. They're, they are gender ne- neutral by when they make them. They just stick the pieces on and make them into what they want them to be. That's right. And here, here, here's the great thing. I want to make a prediction today. Uh, this will be posted on February 26th. 2021 so i'm hoping you're about to say the same thing i'm fixing to say go for it okay (laughs) i want to make a prediction that within a few years the movie toy story boom will (laughs) will be considered to be un woke or un pc or unwatchable it'll have a trigger warning it'll have a trigger warning because mr potato head prays when uh uh the boy is opening his presents please be a mrs potato head please be a mrs potato head please be (laughs) and so so racist yeah exactly that uh, so so that was it huh richard yep that was it toy story it hit me while i was sitting here thinking eventually toy story is going to be a unwoke racist sexist film because of mr and mrs potato head so crazy here's the problem is that hasbro is prejudiced against kids that don't have siblings so kids that don't have (laughs) that don't has a bro or has a sis they should change the name to just has has sibling (laughs) i don't know It's it's you know i joke because if not i would cry it's the saddest thing in the world how how dumb we've become and how virtuous we think we are when we when we have none and it, it brings me, I got to put some scripture in here because this is a Christian show. Matthew six, one, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Boy, you, you nailed it. And that was actually how I was going to close the program, but you, you beat beat me to it it because (laughs) the very concept of Christian virtue is that our virtue is found in Christ and what he has done, not in our virtue. And any goodness that we have is because of what God has done for us and in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are not to laud our own virtues, but we are to laud the virtues of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I go and I preach nothing but Christ and him crucified. crucified. It is not about my virtue. It is about his so gentlemen i think that's a good way to end the program i want to thank you both again for being here uh did you have anything to add before i close the program any thoughts um uh, well i've gone for hours but i'm not um <laughs> uh, i was going to add this um and i won't read it in its entirety but going back to the race thing and this also applies to uh the um the transgender and the homosexual issue as well all these things are supposedly to be designed to somehow create unity among everyone. We're all to be unified because we're going to be less white and we're going to accept all these groups and they're supposed to create unity. All it does is create division. And we earlier, Sam mentioned, you know, our answers to these problems are highly different. And uh, then he never got around to actually what the answers were. So I'll, I'll give the answer now. And it's found in Ephesians chapter two. As we all know, um, <clears throat> the relationship between Jew and Gentile back in the biblical days was pretty rough. Uh, Jews looked at Gentiles as dogs, as kindling for hell. If a, if a Gentile woman was having trouble in labor, Jewish midwives were instructed to not help because it would um, 
bring a, another Gentile into the world. Uh, there was a lot of racist tension between the two groups, but what does Ephesians 2 tell us? Ephesians 2 tells us that Jesus Christ has broke down the barrier of the dividing wall and destroyed the enmity in his flesh. Through Christ, we are made one new man. If you want to have true unity, it comes in a relationship with Christ because in Christ, there is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no black, there is no white, there is no Asian, there is no, we are all one in Christ. And it is there that we find our true identity and it's no longer locked up in our race, our color, or any of those things. We are all being built together as one house in Christ Jesus for the purposes of glorifying God. So if you want to see true unity between the races, then the church needs to get off her butt and get out there and administer the gospel and see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Then you'll be unified in something beyond your skin color. You'll be unified in Christ Jesus. So uh, that's where I'll end on it. That's my final thought on the issue. Amen. All right. Well, thank you both brothers for all that you have uh, done and continue to do with the program. And thank you listener for continuing to support us in your being a listener. And I hope you do listen every day. Coffee with the Calvinist goes out every morning at six o'clock on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, as well as on sermon audio. If you have any questions or you'd like for us to address a topic in an upcoming episode, you can send us a message at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to Coffee with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Coffee with the Calvinist. If you enjoyed the program, please take a moment to subscribe and provide us feedback. We love to receive your comments and questions and may even engage with them in a future episode. As you go about your day, remember this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. All who come to Him in repentance and faith will find Him to be a perfect Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. May God be with you.